Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster, M-O-N-S-T-A.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing Podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. If I were to name my favorite four business topics, they would be B2B marketing, startup culture, marketing technology, and sales marketing alignment. And these four topics almost form the resume behind today's guest. So I've been really looking forward to the conversation. Um, he might actually be the first Business of Marketing podcast guest who was also in the Atlanta market where I am. He's an entrepreneur, speaker, CMO, author, tech founder, and quite possibly one of the people responsible for why you know about the practice of account-based marketing. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Sangram Vajri. How's it going, Sangram? I am good, man. This is exciting. I'm, this, we have been waiting for this, so here we go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We've, we've got so many um, connections between each other, and so it's odd that we haven't met. So it, it's exciting to me to get a conversation with you. Right, right on. And and the idea of business of marketing is so near and dear to me. So uh, I can't wait to jump in. Great, great. So um, since we haven't met in person, I, I think the first time I saw you, uh, I think I did see you, was when you were presenting the Flip My Funnel concept at Digital Summit. And that might have been as far back as 2017. Is that, is that possible? Poss yeah, 16, 17. Uh, when it was still something that we were just getting the message out there and we're trying to figure out how do we talk about it without telling like, Hey, we have a software. Like nobody wants to hear, Hey, our software solves all the problems. So the, the idea of flip my funnel and getting people behind a problem, behind a community, behind a movement really is what, what triggered a lot of what we did at Terminus. Yeah. I remember that because at that point, I don't recall any mention of Terminus. It may have been, but I remember it was more about the concept and yeah. I remember leaving with, just picturing the upside down funnel and the process uh, of flipping your funnel. It was really interesting. Um, so, yeah, I'm not into to big long origin stories, but I think it's very important that the listeners get some context to what you've done in the past seven years since leaving Salesforce Pardot. And I noticed that almost everything you've started since then, you're still a part of. So can you give <laughs> us a brief, yeah, a brief journey of some of the things, uh, the notable ventures and communities you started? Yeah, happy to have you. So Terminus uh, was a company I founded after Pardot and when my Pardot got acquired by Salesforce, I've been at Salesforce for a few years and then just found myself uh, struggling with this challenge of how do we make it better? As a matter of fact, let me share a quick story because that's probably will, will get people thinking about it. Uh, when I was at Pardot, Salesforce acquisition was done. And I remember we got a lot of budget. We did a ton of lead generation. That was 2013, 2014. And I remember this, like we hit every record there was in the Salesforce history of number of leads that could be generated in a quarter. 
and uh, we get a lot of uh, accolades and everything. And I tell my team what a great job because that's all I knew. It was lead generation. That's all I knew. And I went back and I got back to my office and the head of sales, uh, my counterpart on the sales side came to me and said, Sangram, that was fantastic. Awesome work. Can you generate 3,000 more leads next month? <laughs> and the I, bar gets raised. Yeah. And I just sank in my seat. I'm like, we just delivered like 30,000 or some leads. I mean, like, what's going on? Why are we not talking about how do we accelerate these deals? Why are we not talking about expansion? And mine, again, I'm at Salesforce at that time. And it really made me, made me question my own career and my own worth as a marketer. And so that led me to, to figure out, okay, there gotta be a better way to doing it. And so long story short, found a couple of folks who were thinking about it at Terminus. Uh, and then I joined them and started this idea of account-based marketing, which again, I'd never coined that phrase. The phrase was always there, uh, but we sure evangelized it and used the flip my funnel model to, to do it. Um, now it's super awesome to see Gartner and Forrester recognizing it as a category. There are, I think, over 100,000 jobs with ABM in their job title on LinkedIn alone that people are talking about. So to me, outside of just building a company with 300 folks and writing books along the way, doing podcasts, really what makes me excited about is to recognize that there are lots of people with careers in this new field that we got to, got to support. So you mentioned that it was a thing before, but you didn't, you didn't really hear it in marketing conversations. Yeah. You didn't hear it even in sales conversations. It wasn't a thing that was publicized. So how did becoming evangelist of that term and that phrase, um, do you feel like it you know, came out of, out of hiding and that's the phrase that uh, kind of changed the industry a bit? Well, they, you know, like, honestly, I use this phrase to just define how we were thinking about it. And not knowing that there was a phrase like this before, as a matter of fact, after we started talking about it, somebody said, hey, there's a research in 1989 or 91 that somebody said about it. So we're like, okay, great. Let's just make sure that we never take credit for the phrase then, because if somebody said it, then we shouldn't. But nothing really happened after that. Like everything was email, inbound, you know, marketing automation, all those kind of conversations, but nothing about accounts. As a matter of fact, if you ever ask a marketer until ABM came to life, like, do you focus on accounts? They would say, no, I do leads. Like that, that's my job. Yet when we talk to a salesperson, they will say, they will never say that I close leads. They will always say I close accounts. So there lies the sales and marketing challenges. Like we give leads to sales. The sales are like, hey, they're not in the accounts I'm trying to close. My job depends on closing these 10 accounts. So don't stop giving me leads. If you want to give me leads, give me in these accounts because that's what matters to them. So all in all, what we found out was we, we are a startup, early stage company based here in Atlanta, really first time founders in some ways. How are we going to get our name out there? How are we going to break through the noise? How are we going to get the world to listen to us. And the last thing we would be able to do is saying, hey, we are the best. Like it, it doesn't go anywhere. So this, this idea of flipping funnel was literally a blog I wrote on LinkedIn in 2015. And five people liked it, which meant it went viral in 2015. That was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, somebody said, yeah, you should do an event on it. And I'm like, great. I went on GoDaddy, bought flipmyfunnel.com for eight bucks and, and asked a whole bunch of uh, vendors to, hey, would you sponsor an event called Flip My Funnel? They all said yes. And that led to the first Flip My Funnel event and invited 
uh, any and everybody who was challenging the status quo of marketing and sales. And that little event turned into 10 events, turned into a daily podcast and all those things related to it and led into the category. So this idea of evangelism to me is very close uh, to the success that we saw at Terminus. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned evangelism because we have a, at least a few common guests on our podcast. Uh, Guy Kawasaki is one of those people. And so yeah. I'm sure we both had conversations about evangelism with him. And it's interesting to hear you in that category. I hadn't thought about that, but when I connect you to ABM, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, you know, I always have been a strong marketing and sales alignment evangelist myself in terms of the term. And for this reason, and the fact that we're both in Atlanta, you seem to always be connected to people that I'm connected to. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of what you're doing in this space. It is a small yeah. world. Um, yeah. We have a lot of common people that we know. Um, and now I see that go-to-market strategies are at the top of your, your topic list. And I believe your third book and your podcast is around this subject, right? Yeah, that's right. We just rebranded the Flip My Funnel podcast to Move, which is my third book um, on the four-question go-to-market framework. Um, and I'm recognizing that ABM is a go-to-market strategy at the end of the day. So it, it, it's just as I'm growing as being, and it's so interesting, like I was running marketing at Pardot, which was a marketing automation company. Then I built Terminus, which was an account-based marketing company. And I'm building GTM Partners, which is a go-to-market company. And I feel like I'm as I'm evolving my knowledge and understanding of better marketing and better way to go to market, I think that the, I feel like the industry is evolving with it or I'm evolving with the industry. One or the other is true uh, because that's what I'm finding myself into is like, okay, yeah, like marketing automation made sense at that time. ABM made sense in 2015, 2020. And now I'm thinking about there's more than one way to go to market. It's not just ABM, ABM could be great for companies, as you and I know, for bigger deal size, longer sales cycles and whatnot. But there's also PLG movement that has happened where you can have a product-led growth. There could be um, very much of a uh, freemium model uh, process that can be created around it. There's services business in B2B that works. So I'm starting to think and, and, and expanding my thought process and learning is that, okay, well, how do you figure out what's your next go-to-market move? in order to get to the next level. And as I built Terminus, we went from the first year, we went from a million to the second year, we went to five, the third year, we went to 15. And that might sound like uh, almost bragging, right? I'll tell you, right, going through all of that, we failed probably 10 more times. And I didn't know if you could make the payroll a few times. And, and all the things that you go as an entrepreneur, and I, I recognize that they, these are, they're all valleys of death that comes across as you build a business across the board. And, and it always question like, what is my next move? What, what are we going to do? What are we, we going to acquire a company? Are we going to buy something? Are we going to partner something? Are we going to go enterprise? Like it's this constant go-to-market thinking that you have to do. And I'm, I'm now recognizing that that's a big role of what marketing can facilitate. Marketing can help facilitate a better go-to-market strategy. And that's where I'm spending now most of my time thinking. So that leads me to a couple of directions. I want to talk about the entrepreneurial aspect, which you've done a lot of that as well. And also still stay in line with talking about this book and, and MOVE. So MOVE is an acronym. Tell us what MOVE stands for. Yeah, MOVE stands for Market Operations Velocity and Expansion. That's M-O-V-E, Market. Market is who you market to. 
operations, as you and, and many listeners may already know about the rise of revenue operations being one of the key pillars of how you do go to market, um, not just marketing ops or sales ops, that's just going to lead to revenue operations at some point. Velocity, which is a question I asked all the time, which is, how are we going to scale? When are we going to scale? What are we going to do to scale the company? And, and that's a classic entrepreneur question. And you can't answer that question unless you know that some of the business ratios are working. Uh, your, your ramps are working. Your marketing is able to create demand. Your sales is able to attend quota. Your sales uh, CS team is able to, to, uh, to up, cross-sell, upsell. I like to call upserve your existing customers. Your net retention rate is getting better. You, unless you have some of these ratios working, it's, you, you can't really answer the question, is it time to scale uh, right now? And the last question is expansion which is a conversation that, I, uh, that, that led to E. It initially, it was experience, but it became expansion because when I was talking to Scott Dorsey, who was the CEO of Exact Target, he, and they, you know, they got it acquired by Salesforce. And I remember having this conversation. He said, I asked him, as a CEO of ET, you, you, you guys were like public company. How, what made you? What, what got you? What were you thinking every day? And he's like, I was constantly thinking, where are we going to grow the most? Are, are we going to do the HubSpot style partnership with agencies or, or are we going to go? And again, it's all go to market questions in some ways. Uh, are we going to launch or acquire another company that will help us to create and go into another market? Uh, what are we going to do? And so that's those are the four questions. And here's the interesting part about this. What I found in the research of the book is these four questions. Uh, who do we want to go to, which is market? What the operations? Uh, when, which is the velocity and where? Uh, which is the growth question. So market operations, velocity, expansion. These four questions are the same. But mm. the stage of the business you are in, the answers will differ as, as, as you grow. So like the early stage, you might say, I want to go after everybody because you're just trying to sell something with a heartbeat. Uh, but second, you know, when, when as you go to product market fit, now you're like, well, I can go after this specific segment. That's your product market fit. But as you expand and go to platform market fit, then now you're trying to say, you know what? We want to go after these cohorts of customers, these customers that can give us more retention and more value in it. So that was fascinatingly because I, initially we had 50 questions and we ended up with like four questions, which was crazy. So, so of those four questions, you said marketing, operations, velocity, and expansion, right? Of those four, I'm guessing that posing those four questions are different depending on who you pose them to. Like your response mm -hmm. is different. Yes. Like for some, for some executives, operations is they're not, it's not even in their view yet. They don't realize it's a, a big a thing as it is. Expansion may not be in certain people's viewpoints. So tell me what, you know, from CM, CMO or CTO or CEO, where is some of the pushback on some of those four things? Where are the most oh. difficult doors to open? Yeah, this, this might sound really rudimentary and it sounds so bad. Uh, so I'm just going to preface that because this is research, but this is data. This is research. Uh, we interviewed hundreds of uh, CMO, VCs, um, you know, like HubSpot CEO, like we were just we, across the board. And one of the hardest thing, and you might think that might be the easiest thing, but it's the hardest thing for companies to do is market who are we going to market your ICP your the basic ideal customer profile. It's one of the hardest things to do for companies. And that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> that doesn't, that, it, it, it doesn't. Well, I mean, yeah. maybe I'm close enough to it where it doesn't, but I, and I hope our audience feels the same way, but they may, may also not be surprised, but yeah, yeah. I've been close enough to, to, I see it. Yeah. 
it, it kind of hurts me, you know, as a, as a marketer at heart. It's like, how could you not do that? Like, are you not, isn't that the first question you ask? Isn't that the first thing that you figure out? Isn't that the first, but it, it's, it's filled with uh, assumptions. And this is why the churn issue happens where sales sell something to someone who is not supposed to be a customer and then sales and customer success is about to retain them and they're doing unkind, crazy thing. And the product is building some custom thing for this one customer that you shouldn't be focused. So it, all of these things is like a web that gets into, and that's what companies, that's why a lot of companies fail is, is because they just run out of money trying to do things that are totally not what, should, what they should be doing. So I found that really interesting and really hard as a marketer is like, man, if you are a marketer and if your ICP is not as clear as anything that you do and you're not taking the time to get alignment with your sales and CS and your CEO and the executive team, you're just doing a disservice to the profession of marketing. I'm guessing that when you present this, this move framework and you know that you're going into either a sales-led organization versus a marketing-led versus a um, revenue-led, I'm guessing you can kind of tell what you're about to face when you produce, show this framework. Yeah, it, it is pretty apparent, or a product-led, or a channel-led, okay. like all those different uh, different ways of looking at go-to-market. Um, although it's still, I feel it is marketing's responsibility to facilitate that. Uh, and here's here's why. And this again, and I say this to even the sales leaders and because I'm a, like being a co-founder and now CEO, like I feel like I can speak about marketing without making look like I'm looking down on marketing because I'm <laughs> a marketer at heart. Yeah, um, yeah. But here's the thing. Marketing is by far one of the most strategic leaders. They're one of the most strategic leaders and one of the most strategic function in the organization. Um, sales, they have their quota. If they don't hit, they're out. Um, you know, product, you need product releases. You're always out of the gun on, on like things. And if, if it's not doing its retention is there, you're out. Uh, and, and this, so every function has like a real crazy thing in marketing. Your budget will cut if the, if you're not meeting revenue numbers as a company, but you are probably as a marketing, if you're marketing, listening to this, you are in the best position to influence everybody and everything. You're closest to data. You're closest to your customer. You're closest to the, the, the ear of the CEO. And you're the most strategic player because you can you get to sit back and look at a whiteboard and talk about stuff while a sales is like, okay, I, I, I got 10 days to close this deal. Otherwise, we're not going to be. So you're just in a different place. So take advantage of that. I, I encourage marketers to really get into the business of marketing because that's where you can influence the organization to the next level. And as a matter of fact, that's what we say in the P community that the future CEOs are going to be CMOs. Um, and you and I in Atlanta, we know like, uh, you know, Jeff Perkins, who is the, who was a CMO in the P community, who's a CEO now uh, for Park Mobile and, and Tim Kopp, who's the CEO of Terminus now was a CMO at Exact Target. And I can go on and on and I can see that the CMOs are going to become more CEOs because you're in the most strategic role. So just embrace it and, and use it. I'm going to take a, a small sidetrack there based on something you said a moment ago. We're talking about product a lot, and I want to ask you an entrepreneurial question. Would you ever, and I think you actually might be heading there now, but would you ever start a service-based company? <laughs> That's where I'm headed. You're absolutely right. Uh, but like Terminus, we raised over $100 million, which is a product company. You know, we you know, obviously did $50 million or more in revenue, so it's going great. It's, it's running good. And I am now moving on to build this go-to-market company 
And I'm doing exactly the opposite. I'm not going to raise money. Uh, I'm going to build a services business. It's, it's really going to be the, 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 I don't know if you are, or, or the audience might be familiar with the serious decisions or Topo uh, business uh, model where they got acquired by Gartner and Forrester, but we are going to be the research and advisory firm for go to market um, because there's so much happening in go to market right now. And really pe- nobody is, 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 is really looking at the emerging categories and the different ways of go to market. You, you can't listen to enough app podcasts and episodes to do it. Like you really need to do some research and looking at it. We're doing partnership with G2 to collect all that data. What are the emerging trends on it? So with all that, I think what we're going to do is, is launch by actually on September 7th, we're launching the first state of go to market and invite people to see that companies should have different go-to-market. What does a go-to-market operating system look like? We're launching the first go-to-market cloud where all the technologies within go-to-market will start get start be emerging, and this research will be backed by G2. So in many ways, we're, we're starting to build the advisory research firm, and we'll have customers who are either vendors who want to make sure that their product is highlighted in it, uh, or members who would be like, we want to know what's what's really happening in good market. How can I take advantage? What are the latest waterfalls of the world? Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, when you think about frameworks and things. So that's yeah. where we're going. It's kind of very scary, to be very honest. Well, do you think that you would have to alter your move framework for a service company versus a product company? No, I, I don't think that you, I, we have to. But what we do have to do is, and I, you know, the move book. Uh, and if anybody, if they love the podcast, and if there's something that just, just DM me on LinkedIn, I'll send you a copy of the book. Like, you know, that's that's my promise to your to your viewers uh, or listeners. Uh, but what we're already recognizing that my understanding of it is already evolving um, in further. It's just I think how we are. So. I'm looking at it. Okay, the Move book is a really good foundational book for understanding go-to-market. But what, what I'm recognizing as we're working with a ton of customers now on the go-to-market business is, oh, companies are actually focused on really three metrics, ARR, GRR, and NRR. Uh, your uh, annual recurring revenue, uh, your gross retention revenue, and your net retention, uh, NRR, net retention revenue. And when you put those three together, if you can help companies think about what you need to do in order to achieve those three metrics, it's literally the, the blueprint. So we are starting to create advisory around go-to-market to hit a better NRR, hit, hit a better GRR, hit a better ARR. And it's been really fascinating. So I have a lot of it in the book, but not use cases. And as we're working with so many more customers on this specific, I think a year from now, we'll have book specifically on ARR, GRR, NRR, and how companies should think about it. Okay. Now I just recently learned about the book, so I just picked it up today. So I will definitely dig into it. And I, I'm guessing by the time I finish it or soon after, we'll actually meet in person because Let's the way the it. circle's going. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get back a moment to, you know, something I'm really passionate about. I mentioned earlier, sales and marketing alignment. Um, I've seen the the work that we do in, in sales and marketing get get a push from two directions. Um, better aligned technology that these two business areas use and also the fact that the customer journey weaves repeatedly between sales and marketing, which is making alignment crucial. Um, do you agree and, and maybe see any additional forces that are helping the crusade of sales and marketing alignment? Well, I think there's sales and marketing. One, I would say sales and marketing right now, what, what's happening, which has been really scary, 
where marketing is now starting to report to sales in many organizations. So under the chief so revenue CRO officer, maybe. Yeah, CRO. And I'm seeing that happen more often than not. Um, then the other thing I'm seeing right now is uh, marketing uh, is the product marketing function has been split into and moving into product as opposed to staying in product marketing, especially in the early stage uh, or mid stage companies. So there are some real movement that's happening underneath the surfaces, especially with the economy and, and, and what the focus of organizations has become is like, well, marketing, you just need to create demand. Like you just need to create leads. Don't worry about product marketing. We got, we got somebody on the product side to help with that. So, which in turn, what I, when you, if you're really a marketer, you're listening is that what they're saying is that keep doing, keep going with the fluff. We got the real juice over here. So keep the fluff out, right? Like keep doing that. All that leads to a very chronic issue in organizations where sales and marketing alignment is no more about, uh, no more about who's doing what. It's more literally about a metric. Is your marketing incented the same way as sales? And you know this, you've been doing this for a while and see that that's just not true in most organizations. They're incented completely differently. Until the incentives are the same, I think the problem will persist. And ironically enough, if you were to tell certain people until the incentives are the same, their first thought is making marketing incentives more like sales without even considering the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Like, is sales helping to build a brand? Is sales reaching into the funnel and pulling through as opposed to waiting on the other end for a completely ripe lead to fall on their lap? You know, are they yeah. actually helping on the marketing side? Yeah. Um, so alignment's a fun thing. And, and, I, and I think, you know, in the past few years I've seen, we've been preaching that the customer journey is the customer's journey. We can't create this journey and direct them directly to sales sales has to be more involved in, in pulling people through. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you'll hear me this and I might, uh, because I'm thinking about go to market, it might sound like that I'm a little skewed on this thing. Um, and you tell me and be the judge of it and be direct with me. Like we're just doing this live now. I believe most companies, when things go wrong, they think they have a, a, a marketing problem or most companies think that they have a sales problem or most companies think they have a customer success problem or a product problem whenever any of these ARR, GRR, NRR metrics are moving. And what I would propose is that really what you have is a go-to-market problem. And here's why. Your go-to-market problem is about your customers, exactly where you were going uh, a minute ago. You're, it is about your customer. Uh, is it, it is about your, how you acquire your customers. It is about how you engage your customers. It is about how you retain your customer. That's what go-to-market is supposed to do. If ABM is a go-to-market strategy, it is about how do you acquire a customer with a one-to-one campaign? How do you engage and increase the velocity of the customers uh, that are in the pipe? And then how do you expand it? So it's the same ARR, GRR, NRR metrics that can be addressed for ABM. Um, so I propose to, to the world now is, is that stop, stop firing your marketing leaders or sales leaders because you missed a quota or missed a number. Take a deeper look and look at like, maybe you need to fix your ICP. Maybe you need to fix a, a, a different part of the business. Maybe you're after going after the wrong market. There's probably 10 other reasons that could be true that, that you need to investigate in instead of firing and getting new. Because I've done that, quite frankly, I've raised my hand and say that I'm one of those, but I've thought, okay, just changing the leader would solve my problems. It doesn't do that. But too often, that's what companies end up doing. And the more I think about it, 
When was it that the go-to-market was problem was solved? Well, the answer is never. It was never solved. It was, it was always addressed. It was always evolving. It, there's always a new go-to-market problem. But when was it a little bit navigable? It was when the whole team, the executive team, was very aligned on who, what, when, where. They were just aligned. We were just aligned, especially in the first three years when we hit the million five fifteen. What happened? We were so aligned on what we were doing and who we were going after and what our message was and how we were going to go about it and how we we're going to follow. It was just aligned. It was like amazing. And I feel like that was the moment where we just clinched on it and we just were aligned. We, we, we have clarity on it. So I propose to the world that it's not, it's no nine out of 10 times. If you're not getting enough leads, it's probably not because it's marketing sucks. It's probably because your point of view is not clear. Um, if, if you're having a retention issue, it may not be your customer success problem. It might be that you're selling the wrong products to the wrong customers, right? Or if you don't, if your salespeople are not meeting their quota, it, it, it might pretty much be your positioning issue and not a salesperson issue of not closing the deal. You're just positioned in the wrong category at a wrong price point and they can do that. So I think it's it requires an executive level intervention to look at what real the problem is. And I propose that it's a your go-to-market problem more than anything. I agree. I agree 100%. Because I've seen both cases. I've seen cases where you have sales teams who are very qualified to do a great job at sales. They get the qualified accounts or leads, but they're not closing what they expect, despite the fact that they have what they think is the right customer in their hands, or prospect yeah. in their hands, rather. Um, but the market, the, the, the product doesn't fit, or what they, their playbook doesn't fit what the customer decided what they want at that stage. You know, yeah. the, the customer comes through their journey, and they're supposed to come out with this on their mind, Meanwhile, sales said, well, our playbook doesn't say that. They're supposed to come out asking yeah. these questions, not those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the same time, marketing sometimes can totally fill the top or ABM, the bottom of the funnel, however you look at it. They can totally fill it. And then still sales can say, well, this isn't who we expected to come in. So yeah, with, happens all the time. And, and, and nobody, and that's what the book, you know, will, I mean, when you read it, you will see, well, let me I put you on spot here for a second. So who owns go-to-market? I would have to say because I'm so stuck on the team being one team. I think they both do. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you can be fully successful if only one, if, you, if the, look at it like a sport. You know, you have a football team and the team wins the game. Not offense, not defense, the team wins the game. And that's how I see sales and marketing. The team has to win. So I think the team owns it. Well, what do you say? All right. Well, so this is all research-based by interviewing. So I'll share with you this interview with Brian Halligan, who was then the CEO of HubSpot at that time when I interviewed him a year ago. Um, and funny enough, last week I interviewed Yamini, who's the new CEO of HubSpot, and, and both had very similar answers. Brian said that, and we have it in the book, he said, as a CEO, I have three primary responsibilities. He said, number one, my job is to create vision and articulate vision and be the greatest evangelist for the vision, telling to the customers, telling to the employees every day, new people, partners, investors, everybody. Like my job is to just be relentless about the vision of where we're going, where we're going, where we're going. Like that's my job. Number two, he and I've literally have written that down in, in front of on my whiteboard to remember this. The second is culture. If he can create great people, if he can create a great culture for people, if he can create a winning culture, we're going to lose the best talent. And no matter how great our product is, we're just never going to see the light at the end of the day. So this culture. And the third thing is like, this is the unsexy part of my job. I own go-to-market. 
And I'm like, Brian, come on now. You're a public company CEO. You have 100,000 customers. You cannot be owning GD. I understand if you're saying that buck stops at the CEO. I, I get that kind of phrasing of it, but not that you own it. He's like, no, no, Sam, you don't understand. Tell me who in the organization has a purview of, are we going to acquire or buy? That's a go-to-market decision. Uh, who, if you're going to do agency partnership or are we going to open a U- European market? That's a go-to-market decision. And you don't, we don't think of it. A lot of people think about go-to-market as a product launch or a sales channel or a, 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 any one of those things. He said, this very myopic way of looking at it. Those are things that you might do as part of it. But as a CEO of a publicly traded company, I own it. And I've been the CEO since we started with $0 in revenue. So all the way from zero to being a publicly traded company of 100,000 plus customers, he says he owns this, the go-to-market from day one. And then I validated wow. that with Nick Meta, who was the CEO of Gainsight. We just crossed 100 million in revenue to Manny Medina, the CEO of Outreach, uh, to VCs like Kelly Ford and others. And they all said, CEOs across the board said, oh, I own it. Why is that a question? But then here's the, wow. here's the interesting part. I talked to the CMOs and I'm not going to say which companies anymore. Uh, <laughs> and the CMOs of some, of some of the companies said, I think I own it. I think the CRO owns it. I think this, that, and, and it's interesting to me that, ah. So and were they the same is, companies? That's the question. Were they the same companies? Some of them, some of them, <laughs> that's I'm not going to say the name of the company, but some of them, yeah. when I went one layer down, had a different answer. And, that, and, and there lies the issue. So the ownership, as much as we all can, I think the, the understanding of go-to-market has evolved for me. I, I didn't, when I wrote the book, Lee, or was writing it, I, wa- I thought I knew go-to-market. I cannot be more wrong. I could not be more wrong on this. I had no idea what I was writing about. And so I've come out of there as a student of go-to-market more than a teacher of go-to-market, quite frankly. And when I talk to all of these CEOs, I'm like, man, I just thought go-to-market was this thing of the pragmatic group that put together a, you know, how do you launch a product or or no, it's so much bigger. It's almost everything, every business decision you made is related, somewhat related to go to market. So I come out of there as a student. I guess you can't get any more top down than that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you want to say, well, this decision happens above me, you can't get any more top down than having the CEO lead go to market. Yeah. And then that doesn't mean you don't execute. That's where he, the role of marketing is super important because marketing's job is to facilitate that conversation because the CEO has to make that decision. You, you can't make that decision because of the purview that he or she has in it. But as a CMO, you are best positioned to have the facilitation of that conversation. And let's just talk about again, who do are we marketing again? What's our market looks like? Do we have the metrics that we need in order to make decisions? Do we know what the ratios are in order to know how to scale and when to scale? Do we know what our next expansion move is going to be? Like these are questions that really, really nobody else can think through as with the CEO being a partner of the CEO than a marketing leader. So I feel like that's why I think it's a great opportunity to be, it's a great time to be a marketer. Well, it's interesting you said that because you're, you're doing a great job as a marketer, even though you have all these other responsibilities and companies and communities. And I want to bring something, some things back to, to you particularly. Um, Recently, I found myself on your mailing list, on your email list, and we won't get into the question of how I got on this list because we all know how marketing automation works, but I will say that I'm happy to be on the list. Um, oh, great. And there are some <laughs> things that I, that I see in your emails and a few others that I pay attention to, and they have these things in common. They're written from you and by you, 
They're a bit personal, almost like a diary sometimes. Um, it's clean. I mean, it's clear and often short. And there's no real obvious call to action. Just kind of like a check-in from Sangram. I think this yeah. kind of email really works. Um, is there anything, how can businesses do more email marketing like that? And what's, why can't businesses be as personal as your emails are? Oh man, because they're businesses, they're buildings, you know, <laughs> in a lot of times I remember uh, there was a company, uh, you know, we, I, I was advising them on something and they, they just showed me their website and it had a bunch of buildings on the homepage. I'm like, are you selling to building manufacturing teams? Like, what are you selling to? No, no, no. We want to show scale and skyscrapers are showing a scale. I'm like, like that just telling me that you sell building. Like, are you CBRE? Or like, what are you? Right. So it means you have an account with a stock photo company. That's what that means. Yes, exactly right. And, and then, a, you know, I guarantee they changed that building's photo out for another stock photo of some of politically correct group of people. <laughs> Young, old, hey. black, white, Asian, you know, yeah. millennial, they covered the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and and so did every one of their competitors and they all look the same now, which is even worse. <laughs> uh, so, it, so, so first of all, thank you for saying that. And I, yes, I do write it. And I just, I think I've just become, personally, I just become a better documenter of things um, because I think, you know, we, you know, I don't know if anybody's any, any one of us is going to be worthy enough for others to write about us. So the best we can do is write about ourselves. So I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm just writing and documenting my journey as, as I'm building this company. And I want to write like, what am I going through emotionally, personally at this stage of the business? Because it kind of fades out when you're done with the first business and you're like, well, I can look at real view 2020 and just remember some highlights but I don't know what was I going through. When did the pivot really happen? When did I change? What what was the one thing that we actually clicked? And so I just want to document that. And and this time around, like last time, like you know, I literally got almost divorced and had a really rough time trying to build this thing. And so this time, I'm trying to be a lot more intentional around it, which is why you're on that becoming intentional list somehow. Um, what what's what the reason I feel it's hard for businesses to do that is because there is no personality. Uh, of a business, right? They, you know, they don't have the business email, won't necessarily have emotions, won't have those, that personal touch. So it's hard in itself. At the same time, it doesn't have to be really bad. So great example of that is Morning Brew or Skim that uh, I believe you know about and most probably people. I read there, at not every day, but at least once or twice a week, I read the Morning Brew because it feels like a human has written it. And it speaks like I'm talking to someone at a at a bar or at a at a friend's group circle, and we're having a conversation. And it it says as if it's like, oh yeah, I would ask that question. Yeah, what about that? Like you know. So it's 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 it talks in shorter sentences. I mean, if I have to give anybody like, how do you write an email? Write as if you're speaking to someone first and foremost, but write in shorter sentences, like. We don't speak in long five or 30 words, like, you know, or jargony, right? We just mm -hmm. talk about, yeah, I had a kid, you know, my kid just fell down. And they, I mean, that's how we talk. We don't talk like my kid on his Razor 4. Like, we don't talk like that. So <laughs> it's how you present, how you talk. And I made a promise to myself that I'm not going to spend more than 10 minutes on writing this. So I know it has typo, which is, which I know that. I know it's going to have typo. Whatever Grammarly can catch, I will catch it. But I know it's going to have typo. I know it's going to, but I want this to be as raw as possible. And honestly, if nobody ever read it, I'll be totally fine. I'm just going to document it for a year and see where it goes. So my 
Incentive is also very different. I don't really care if people loved it or not. I'm writing it because I want to document it. And 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 to your point, I'm seeing like over 10,000 people now are in that list. So it's kind of fascinating to see it grow. Uh, but it's the last thing I've thought, I said, I want to just document my one-year journey of building another company. It's refreshing. I mean, when we talk to our friends, when we text them or email them, we don't do formal communication. And so if you were to look at emails from friends, emails from businesses, emails from businesses are exhausting. Emails from friends are, they're not always grammatically correct, but they get the point across, they communicate. And to see an email from someone, even if it's, you know, it's in the business world, it still feels like a friend's email versus a business email. So Sangram, I'm tremendously grateful for your your time and insights today. Um, So from your communities to your book and your new business venture, please take a moment to share anything else you want the audience to know and maybe how we can um, reach you. Well, I mean, since we talked about the newsletter, if you want to see and hear about the journey, just go to sangramhere.com and you can subscribe to that newsletter. Uh, but I've been on, like, I have some books that I want to give away, like The Move, it hit Wall Street Journal bestseller. And anytime I get to do a podcast, I'm very selective of it. So Lee, I know your audience, I know you, and I know you're doing great work. So I'm excited to be here. So I'd love to connect with the community. Um, so if you love something, just hit me up on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll send you a copy of the book. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you again, Sangram. Uh, stay well. Um, and thanks to the listeners. If you're listening to the podcast and want to also see Sangram and I video the podcast and others will be available on the podcast section of contentmonster.com. Again, thanks, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by contentmonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on contentmonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.